So I don't know if it's providence, coincidence, or what it is, but uh, we started as a congregation this week the 40 days of prayer. I know Jim said he's preaching on prayer this morning, and the way our parables align, we're going to be talking about prayer uh, this morning. So I guess the key to learning is repetition, so you're going to probably hear some things repeated today, but that's not a bad thing. And hopefully everybody, if you're on email, is getting the emails about the 40 days of prayer. And if you're not, let us know and we'll get you added to the list. But uh, we definitely, uh, as a congregation, want to be praying for one another. And as we uh, are here today, there's power in prayer. We need to be persistent, sincere. There's many things we need to be in our prayers. And so uh, we definitely don't want to exclude anybody from that. But if you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 18, and we'll be looking at the first eight verses, and this will be, well, while we'll be looking at other scripture, these will be the key ones we're looking at as far as the parable, and it is the parable of the persistent widow. And again, this is a parable that's only found in the gospel of Luke, and I'll read the first eight verses, and I'll be reading the New King James Version. Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, There was a certain city, there in a certain city, a judge who did not fear God, nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, Yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust, ju unjust judge said, And shall not God avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I'll tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth. So to help um, set the context here, I think it's important we go back towards the end of Luke chapter 17 and look at what was being discussed there. And immediately uh, proceeding in Luke 17, Jesus is talking about the coming of the kingdom. So a little bit of a lengthy read, but I'd like to, to read also Luke 17, beginning in verse 20 until the end of the chapter. Now, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, See here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Then he said to the disciples, The day will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, Look here, or look there. Do not go after them, or follow them. For as the lightning that flashes out of the part under the heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, 
they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is, who is in the field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, in that night there will be two men in one bed, the one will be taken and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding together, the one will be taken and the other left. Two men will be in the field, the one will be taken and the other left. And they answered and said to him, Where, Lord? So he said to them, Wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. So as we look at, at this, a um, couple of things I'd like to highlight here in Luke chapter 17. The Pharisees had asked Jesus when the kingdom would come. Jesus replied that the kingdom would not be the type of kingdom that, that most men expected. And what type of kingdom do most men think about when they think about a kingdom like that? So I heard several things, but more or less an earthly kingdom, right? Something um, that people would see that it, it would be established. But he said, rather, it will be a spiritual center of each believer. Look, at, uh, look back at verse 21. For it says, the kingdom of God is within you. So where is the kingdom of God? It's within us, right? It's within each believer. It's, it's part of the church. And then next, Jesus gave some illustrations to show that the com coming of the kingdom would be unexpected. We can see, and let's look at verses 26 and 27 in the days of Noah. I think it's interesting. It says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the, in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. They were just living life large, right? They weren't living for God. Um, and we know they weren't living for God with the exception of, of, what, eight people that were saved in the ark. And the same thing when it talks about in verses 28, 29, it says, likewise also it was in the days of Lot that they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. So again, they weren't really, they were living for themselves, right? They were putting their faith and trust and confidence in themselves and not in God, which is why they were destroyed. And I'll get to my point here in just a minute. I just starts to tie in with prayer. But, um. In verse 30, it says, even so, it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. And what that means is there'll be many that are living just like they were living in the days of Noah, the days of Lot, that weren't devoted to God, that weren't devoted to his service, and then they will be destroyed just like we know that the people were destroyed in the, in the flood and also in Sodom. And in getting... Uh, how this begins to tie in, it's easy for 
a Christian sometimes to give up on God. Because God doesn't always use a calendar like we use a calendar. He doesn't look at a clock like we look at a clock. We're so time-bound as individuals, but, but he is not. With God, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day, Second Peter 3, nine. So we're not to give up on God and understanding this. We should not conclude that God loses his patience with us also, as we'll see and go through this parable, that just because... Um, that he'll just answer prayers because we're persistent and because we just pester him, as we'll see in the example here. But the parable does emphasize a need to be persistent, for God wants to see that we really do depend on him, and that's something that was lacking in the days of Noah, in the days of, of Lot. The people weren't dependent on God, right? And that's why they were destroyed. And as we go back to the the parable is probably a Roman judge and a Jewish woman that's being talked about here because uh, one judge did not constitute a Jewish court, and we can see here that the woman, she was basically going, going to one judge. Okay, so the parable teaches us that the power of prayer um, provides us a powerful lesson um, until we can learn to humble ourselves we cannot offer an effectual prayer, which that is basically getting a desired outcome that we want or according uh, to God's will, if it, if it be his will, that our want and his will is aligned. But I think, you know, as we look at the first verse here, it's very clear. It says, then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. And that's the whole purpose of the parable here is that we ought to pray. And it's not that prayer might be a good idea. We ought to pray. It's a command as we see there. And there's many scriptures that assure us that God does answer prayer, but um, let's look at Matthew 7, 11. I think that's a good example to emphasize it. Matthew 7, 11. It says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So to receive the gifts of God, what does it say that we need to do? Ask. We need to ask him. How do we ask him? Through prayer. So we can know that God will answer our prayers. And as we look at it, look at this parable, we can see the characteristics characteristics of a Christian prayer. As we said first in verse 1, prayer is an obligation. I think it's interesting that, to note that Jesus, the, uh, you know, God's son who was part of creation, um, who lived life perfectly as man on this earth, uh, he prayed. And if he, needed to, if he needed prayer, I definitely think I need prayer in my life, and I think it's safe to say that each and every one of us need prayer if the only man that ever lived perfectly on this earth needed prayer. Um, a verse that I had referenced here, and it was also the one that went out on the first day of the 40 days of prayer, is 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. So we got to realize as Christians that prayer is a privilege 
it's an honor that we have. It's also an obligation. So if it's an obligation and, it, and it's a commandment, if we're not praying, then it's a sin. And we, we need to realize that. But also, our prayers must be sin- sincere. And I think this certainly describes the petition of the woman here in this parable. She wanted her appeals granted, and she was sincere in her request. You know, if we go to God in prayer and we say, well, I think I want this God, but I'm really not sure, maybe. And then we wait a few days, and we think, well, no, I really don't need that. But then a few more days later, we think, well, yeah, I do, and you go back to God in prayer. It's really it's kind of wishy-washy, isn't it? It's, it's not really sincere. The woman was sincere. She knew exactly what she wanted. It said that she came to the judge and said in verse 3, get justice for me, my adversary. So we also should ask our prayers with a sincere belief that only God alone can fulfill our request. If we go to God in prayer thinking, you know, I really think I can handle this myself, but I think I'll ask God just to be sure as a backup plan, that's really not the best way to go about it, is it? We, we got to put our faith and trust in God that he alone can fulfill our request. Uh, any questions or comments? Yeah, and that's so true. I think, you know, as long as things are going good, we think we can handle things on our own. But as soon as things go bad, uh-oh, I better pull him back in. Yes, Jeff. And I agree with you 100% because my next point is our prayers must be persistent. The woman did not petition once and just sit back to see what happened, did she? She was persistent. Um, Does God hear us the first time? Absolutely. No, and he he may answer the first time or he may not. Like I said, he's not bound by our time and, and by our will. Yeah, like the song says, some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. You ever heard that? Yeah. And sometimes that's true. Yes. Think God will only give us what He feels like too we can handle, and uh, sometimes I think we think we can handle more than maybe what, yeah, what God does. Yeah, and I think to an extent, yes. But if, like, if, if I know if somebody is sick, I'm not just going to pray for them one time, and that's it. And that's I think too why we keep people on our prayer list is so that we do routinely pray for them. And God does hear us the first time, um, and I know exactly what you're saying. Um, so it is, it is a tough one there, but you don't want to just pray, okay, I, I hope Tony feels better, and please you know, bless her and the doctors, and that's it, and you never pray for her again if she's dealing with something. Because, you know, too, during the course of things, think circumstances change a bit, and you want to continue to keep somebody in prayer. Yes. And there's people that fall away every day that we need Absolutely. to pray for. Yeah. Really, the need persists. Yeah, and I think you brought out a very good point in there. Like, if we pray for God to forgive us of our sins, we don't need to continue to pray for that because we know He forgives and forgets. The problem is, we don't forgive and forget. And a lot of times, even though God has forgiven us, we have a hard time forgiving ourselves. So we keep bringing it up over and over and over again, and we let it haunt us, and it consumes us. We need to learn to forgive and forget 
and we need, when we, we have prayed and asked for forgiveness, to let it go. God has done it. I think I saw another hand. Yeah, and if you've got a weakness in your life, too, you know, you may pray about that, and, you know, and you may get forgiveness, but then, again, you may stumble again. Well, we need to go to God again. So if we have a weakness until we feel like, you know, we've gotten the faith and the strength to overcome that, there's, I don't think there's anything wrong with continuing to pray for strength. Jeremy, then I saw Frankie, and then Jeff. And I think what it shows is our dependency on God. It reminds us of our dependency on him when we pray like that. And if we pray for something that, hey, God, I can't handle this myself. I need you. And it shows our dependency. And that's, I think, a lot of what he's looking for is our heart, right? He's looking in our heart to see, okay, does he think he can take care of this on his own or is he looking uh, for my help? Yeah, and that kind of goes back to... uh, what we were talking about a few weeks ago, seeing somebody in need, and instead of providing that need, if you have the means to, you just say, I'll pray for you, and you keep on keeping on. It doesn't really help the situation a whole lot. I mean, yes, we should pray for him, but if we have a way to also help, we should help. Yes, Jeff. Yeah, and kind of going along with what you're, you're saying there, we sing a song oftentimes, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Think about how many friends that you have that you don't talk to. You know, not if you've got a good friend, you're you're talking to him, right? That's why they're friends. So how can we be a friend with Jesus if we're never talking to him? Yeah, it's not give me every day my daily bread and hey, I'm covered the rest of my life, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I saw Chuck's hand, I believe. That's very true because you know, anything we miss on this earth, it'll be okay on the day of judgment as long as we don't miss heaven. So Yeah, and it, you know, you often, you know, times heard, you know, Christianity is not a, it's not all health and wealth, right? And if we could pray once, and man, I'm, I'm sick as a dog today, but I'm healed tomorrow. I'm in financial struggles today, but I'm rich tomorrow. We couldn't build a building big, big enough, right? And so it's not about having something immediate and you know, not having struggles in our life just because we pray. We're still going to have those, but there's a purpose behind it. We may not always understand what it is, but God does. All right, so going along with a persistent prayer, I had referenced James 5.16 here, which is the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And we do have to be um, persistent in, the, in, in us going to God in prayer. Also, our prayers will be answered if we ask in faith. And let me ask you, do, when you ask a prayer, I'm not asking you to answer out loud, when you pray, do you truly believe that it's going to be answered? Um, the woman in, in the parable continued her request because she had faith that it would be answered. If she thought, well, you know, I really don't think this is going to be answered, do you think she would have kept going back and asking, hey? And, and I think that's true with us today. Um, we've got to have faith that it's going to be answered. And I think many times we're guilty of having a lack of faith, and when, we, when our prayers aren't answered or it's not answered within our time, we may think or say, well, I really didn't think that was going to happen anyway, or I didn't really think that was, I was going to be blessed with that. That's not really asking in faith, is it? And that's in one of the commentaries I was reading. It says, have you ever asked 
for a sick person to be healed and then responded with astonishment when the prayer was actually answered. You know, sometimes it's like, wow. And there's sometimes, and I know there's people that's been sick or been diagnosed with certain things. The doctors can't explain it. Um, the only thing that can explain it is prayer and God. And uh, I think we can all probably relate to circumstances in our life like that. But Jesus, in verse 8, ends this parable when asking, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on earth? And you may think that, okay, what does this have to do with the woman's plea in the parable? But when you see the parable in its totality, it makes great sense. The parable teaches us that we must trust God even though we do not always readily understand what he's doing, his will, or why he answers some things and why he doesn't answer some things. And how many times have we often wondered or worried if God is really going to do what he says he's going to do? You know, I'm sure I know I can say I have, and I'm sure we, we probably can all say that at some point. And then the question I think each and every one of us has to ask ourselves is not whether God is faithful, but whether we're faithful when we go to him in prayer. In line with this uh, parable, I also want to look at Luke 11, 5 through 13. Any questions or comments before I leave and read this parable? And it also relates to prayer. And it's in many commentaries and books that you look at, it, it is called a twin parable to the persistent widow. So very much ties in. And he said to them, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on, on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is a friend, yet because his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he, as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. If the Son of Man asks for bread from any, from any father among you, he will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a, instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So, um, and I'll be, for the sake of time, kind of brief here. Uh, going through it, we won't go through it in as much detail, but any comments are welcome. But you basically have a traveler that turned into a house late at night. And it didn't say that the guest was unexpected, but the problem was what? Didn't have any food to give him. So it says that the host hurried out down the street to the house, house of a friend. He banged on the door. He cried out to his friend in, inside explaining his predicament. The friend 
didn't want to be bothered, did he? But he also realized that, hey, unless I get up and give this guy what he wants, um, he's not going to go away, and I'm not going to get any sleep. So, yeah, call Mike at 2 in the morning. I'm up for a sandwich. What are you up for, you know? Yeah, exactly. So uh, so soon it become obvious that, that, that he needed to give him what he wanted. So with this parable, just like the parable of the widow, we can see obligation, sincerity, persistence, and faith. And going back to what Jim said, too, and I didn't really get too much into that, that I think is one of the difficult things in studying this parable. It does kind of give the impression that we got to pester God to get what we want. Um, and that's really not what's being brought out here, but that's in the, these two examples. That's what you see is two two men being pestered, and people finally say, hey, i, I got to give them what they want to make them go away. Well, the Spirit is promised to all that have, that have come to him, right, as Christians. And, Jim, I'm assuming that's what it's making reference to there is the gift of the Holy, Holy Spirit. Well, if it is or not. But also, as we look at Luke, I think it's interesting to notice uh, Luke, he's the only writer to record these two parables that we're talking about here, but all on prayer. But he also draws attention to the prayer life of Jesus. I'd like to, in a few minutes we have left, um, Frank, can I get you to read Luke 3, 21 and 22? I'll just go across the front here. Cheryl, Luke 6, 12 through 13. Frankie, can I get you to read Luke 9, 18? Corbin, Luke 9, 28. All right, so Luke is the only one that mentions that prayer was taking place when the Holy Spirit de descended upon uh, Jesus here, as far as the writers go. And then Luke... 6, 12 through 13. Okay, so it's also Luke that tells us that Jesus continued all night in prayer before he chose his 12 apostles. And then Luke 9, 18. Okay, so it was also Luke who describes the great confession at Caesarea Philippi as being accompanied by, by prayer. And then Luke 9, 28. Okay, and it's also Luke who brought out that Jesus was praying at the time of his glorification on the Mount of Transfiguration. And the reason I just wanted to, to bring that out, the image of Jesus as a praying man was precious to Luke, and it was also precious uh, to the early church. And again, and I know we said this, but if it was important to Jesus and if it was important to the early church, I don't think prayer is any less important today for us and the 40 days of prayer as a congregation. If the early church needed it, the church that meets at the Central Union and Monroe Church, the Monroe Church here, also needs prayer. So just want to emphasize that, hey, we can't, we can't pray enough for each other um, and also for the church here and the work that has taken place. So I appreciate what you're doing with the 40 days of prayer. Yet also each and every one of us need to realize that we need to have an important prayer life as an individual if we're going to be in the right relationship with God, if we can um, 
expect him to answer our prayers. We can't just ask when we're in trouble. It's something that we have to do, pray without ceasing. It's a continual thing. You've got to thank him in the good times and put your needs on him in the bad times, and you can't leave one out. I mean, it's, it's a package deal. Every day we need to pray. So as we finish up here, um, any questions or comments? I guess we got them all out there in class, and I appreciate your time.